I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, that you have a smile on your face today. Are you ready to talk about romantic relationships? Relationships are crazy because they have the power to make us happy, but they also have the capability to make us act like assholes. They bring out the best in us, but they can also obviously bring out the worst. And part of the reason that they are so emotionally evocative is because without knowing we're doing it, a part of us is trying to heal our childhood wounds through our current partner. That puts a lot of pressure on the relationship because none of us consciously sign up for that job to heal our partner's wounds, but that is the position that we find ourselves in. More about that later. Today's podcast is all about relationships and giving us the criteria to realize where we are going right and wrong in our romantic relationships. So if you're in a relationship, or you've ever been in a relationship, or you plan to someday be in a relationship, this episode is for you. Today's interview is with Dr. Sarah Shevitz from Couples Learn, and she says that 90 to 99% of the problems she sees in the couples in her private practice, they boil down to one thing. Faulty communication. Personally, I consider that to be really great news because it means that we can figure out how we are going wrong in our communication and fix those things in order to make the relationship better. She teaches us the Gottman's four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse and gives us ways that we can notice that we're doing them and also ways that we can correct them so we can get back to the main thing that we're looking for in the relationship, which is love. I imagine that if you're like me, you'll recognize yourself in some of these behaviors. So listen with a gentle heart and an open mind so that you can fully grasp how you can continue to open up to be the most loving and authentic version of yourself. A little bit about Sarah. Dr. Sarah Shevitz is a licensed psychologist specializing in love and relationships, and she's the founder of the online psychology practice Couples Learn. She has been working with couples and individuals to improve their love lives for over 10 years now and has completed advanced trainings in both Imago Couples Therapy as well as the Gottman Couples Therapy Method. Dr. Sarah's private practice is relatively unique in that she is one of the only doctoral level couples therapists whose practice is 100% online. Let's get to our interview with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Greg. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. You work with a ton of couples. I do. Not only work with, but you research it, you study it. It's really your bailiwick of what you love and what you love to do. I'm pretty obsessed with it. (laughs) (laughs) Obsessed with couples and how to make them the best they can be? Yeah, and just love and relationships in general. I feel so blessed to be able to do this for a living because I would be reading all of that stuff anyway just for fun. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that you're doing it. I'm wondering if we could start off by just talking about what... In your work with couples, what do you see as the biggest mistake that couples make in relationships? The biggest mistake would probably be just how they communicate. 
90, maybe even 99% of the relationship concerns I see in my practice, they all boil down to communicating in an ineffective way. Wow. So in general, it isn't that there's mountains to move or some crazy heavy lifting or excavating to do as the main problem, but really learning how to communicate with their partner. That's what you see as 99% of the problem. Yeah, I'd say so, because even if there are mountains to move, if you can communicate effectively about it, it's a little easier to navigate that. Why are relationships so hard for a lot of people? Because what I see, I think there are a lot of people out in the world doing great in their friendships, great in business. They would look around and say they have a successful life, but they get into a relationship and they find themselves acting out these patterns that they don't do in other places. Why do we do that? Yeah, I love that question because you're right. It's so easy to just make great friends and have great relationships with friends. Not for everyone, but for a lot of people. That comes naturally, but the love piece just feels so challenging. Mm -hmm. What really happens is our childhood wounds get triggered in romantic relationships more than they will anywhere else. So you're just triggered in a way that nobody else can trigger you. And you have expectations that are different. Like I know personally, I let things slide with my friendships that I wouldn't let slide in a relationship. I think most people are that way. We're just so much more invested in who this person is because we're going to be with them for our entire lives, theoretically. Sure, the stakes are higher. Right. Okay. Whereas friends, you know, they come and go sometimes. So the pressure to mold them into exactly what you want and need, which P.S. is not possible, Mm -hmm, (laughs) isn't as present. Why is it that we project our family of origin, unfinished business, onto our relationships as opposed to the other places in life? Why, how come I don't do that in my friendships as much as I do it in a relationship? I think just the level of intimacy and closeness in a romantic relationship, for whatever reason, your unconscious mind decides this is the ground where I'm going to, you know, these are the breeding grounds for my wounds to come out and be healed. Mm. Really, if you think about it, you're closer. Very few people are as close to their friends as they are to their intimate partners. Oh, yeah. And same with parents. You know, you're closer often. Most people are closer to their parents than they are to friends as well. So I think just the closeness. So it's, and we have a lot of expectations. In other words, so if what I'm hearing you say is correct, unbeknownst to our conscious mind, we're trying to fix some of the wounds from our past and we're trying to use our partner to do it, which is why we then project our parents, our parental relationships onto them. That's right. Okay. That's a lot. And that puts a (laughs) lot of pressure on the other person, of course. Mm -hmm. It sure does. Well, I know that you've talked a lot about you study and you practice the Gottman method. John and Julie Gottman are these amazing married couples. They've researched and practiced what, tens of thousands of hours of studying couples. Mm -hmm. You've discussed in the past that they have these, what they call the four horsemen of predicting divorce. Is that correct? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh. Very dramatically named. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's a dramatic thing. It we're is. We're talking about two people swearing their lives together and then and then ending that. Yeah. And if I understand correctly, it's these are the four things we want to look at in our own relationships and ask, are we doing those things? And if so, these are the type of things that you help your clients to heal or to stop doing or learn better ways to communicate. Is that right? That's right. So can you walk us through those? Yeah. So in order of least harmful to most harmful, they are criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Wow. 
Can we go through them one by one? Of course. Okay, so let's start then with criticism. Yeah, and I also will say that the Gottmans can watch a couple argue for about 10 minutes. And if these four horsemen are present, particularly contempt, there's a really, really, really high chance that they're going to end up divorced or broken up. Or if they stick it out for the kids or whatever reason, they're going to be pretty miserable. Yeah. So I imagine, is it a hopeful message to say, if I'm looking at my relationship, I notice some or all of these things in it, and I want to change and heal these patterns, that makes the relationship much more likely to continue and not break up. Is that right? Way more likely. Okay. And the reason there's such high indicators of divorce or breakup is that they just stop communication and make it completely ineffective. Mm. And so if you have, I mean, you can imagine if you have fight after fight after fight that doesn't get resolved and actually escalates to the point where you're feeling incredibly hurt, the distance between you just grows and grows and grows. Eventually, you don't want to have sex anymore. A lot of people don't. And Mm -hmm. eventually, you just start really disrespecting and hating each other. Wow. And, you know, nobody wants to stay in a relationship like that. No, of course not. So So, dealing with it, bringing out in the open is what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's just so important to know that, like, hearing one of these on its own, you might think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Okay. Yeah. And I really want people to hear that it is. Yes. That any of these is a big deal. Any of these is a big deal. The buildup over time is what it is. If it happens once in a while, it's not going to make or break your relationship. Okay, yeah. If it's happening on a regular basis when you're fighting, it literally is going to break you up. Mm, I With see. like 96% chance it'll break you up. Wow. High, high, high chance. Okay, so like you said, <laughs> this is a really serious thing to yeah. keep your finger on the pulse. Yeah. So criticism, I mean, we all know what the word means, but how does that show up in relationships? Can you give us an example? Yeah, so complaining is a normal part of being in a relationship. You cannot communicate about things you don't like without complaining at times. The difference between that and criticism is that criticism comes off very harsh. It comes off in a way, often people might use the words always or never. What's an example of that? You always interrupt me. You never listen to what I'm saying. Mm, Okay. Right? Yeah. Or they make blanket statements about their partner's personality. You're so rude. You're so lazy. Yeah. Right? Those are criticisms. Okay. So to criticize, and so there's the always and the never, there's name calling and things like that. So if, like you said, that there are, there are things we have to address with our partner. So how do we do that? If, if, so if you, if you hear the examples you gave and we recognize we do that with our partner, how do we shift that? What do we do? There's a softened startup formula you can use. I feel X when Y happens and I would prefer Z. Okay. So common example that resonates with a lot of couples out there is the dishes. Uh. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) likes doing the dishes. Yep. And everybody has them. Yeah. Um, So let's say the one partner comes home from work and there's dishes piled up in the sink. And he or she says to their partner, oh, you never do the dishes. You're so lazy. I always have to do everything around here. Like, what do you even contribute to this household? Mm. Would that make you want to do the dishes? No. No. It'd make me angry. (laughs) Yeah. But if you said, or if that partner said, you know, I feel so stressed out when I come home and I see a sink full of dishes, I would really prefer if you could put them in the dishwasher, if you do end up cooking, you know, before I get home from work, just so I don't feel that stress the second I walk in the door. Wow. Okay. So that's a big difference. Big difference. Because number one, you're explaining how you feel. Yes. Which if your partner cares about you, hopefully they do. They don't want you to feel that way. Yeah. And you've, I've read in some of your writing before that 
I statements is an enormous part of what you teach couples to do. So instead of you were acting like a bitch at that party, you right. humiliated me. If you were my partner, I could say, my feelings were hurt when you made that joke about my shirt. Yeah. And it, and it hurt my feelings. And I would really prefer that you don't, that you're my ally in those situations. That would be such a loving way to say that. How'd I do? That's okay? Really well, really okay. well. <laughs> I, I have found myself in my relationship saying things along the lines of, I'm super crabby tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm being kind of a jerk. It's got nothing to do with you, but I'm just, I'm annoyed. Yeah. So, or I'm annoyed about work or whatever yes. it is. And so letting the person know, I'm not being my nicest self right now, but I'm just letting you know this is on me and I'm sorry. And this is how it's going to be for at least a little more time. But instead of acting it out with that person and yeah. treating them like I'm annoyed with her. Does that make sense? That is such a loving thing to do. All right. Because it's so easy for us to personalize everything and make it about us. Yes. So, Which we all do. Yeah. I think if someone is talking to us as if they're annoyed, I think our first thought always is going to be that they're annoyed with something we've done. Yeah. Okay. Particularly if you deal with some self-worth issues yeah. or some an anxious attachment style. There's mm. a lot of things that make you feel that more than the average person. Yeah. But everyone has some level of self-doubt. Self sure. Yeah. So the second of the four horsemen of the apocalypse was defensiveness. Can you explain mm -hmm. to us what that is? Yeah, it can show up in several different ways. It's basically not taking accountability or not taking responsibility for your side of things. Okay. Uh, sometimes it could sound like, I didn't do that, just blanketly denying. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it could sound like, fine, I did that, but you did the same thing a week ago, so who are you to say anything about my behavior this week? Yes. Yeah, like your point's no longer valid here. Mm -hmm. And then the third is another, your point's no longer valid here, but it's basically saying, yeah, I did that, fine, but you did something way worse last week. Therefore, your point is not valid. Sure. So in all three of those, you're saying that the other person's point isn't valid. Yeah. And you're not taking it in. If someone's hearing how you're describing defensiveness and thinking, wait, that's me. I do that in my relationship. How do they get out of it? Because I imagine that that's a really ingrained pattern. Yeah, it is. I think it really is an ingrained pattern. And I think the most important thing you can do is just take baby steps mm. in admitting any part of ownership you might have in okay. something. Mm. And I always tell people, it's not like you have to say, I'm so sorry, I was so wrong, <laughs> I did everything wrong. Right. No, you could say something as simple as, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Yeah. You're not admitting anything that you did wrong. Yeah. But let me differentiate that between, I'm sorry, your feelings are hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I see. <laughs> you hear There's the a difference? subtle but big difference, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so give us an example, I mean, help us understand those two things. Well, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt puts the ownership on your partner. Okay. They're the ones with hurt feelings. It's their fault. Yeah. Versus I'm sorry I hurt your feelings is taking ownership for having hurt their feelings. Yeah. And it doesn't mean what you did was wrong. Again, you're not losing ground when you're not being defensive. You're yes. actually gaining it because you're being vulnerable. You're being loving. You're being kind. You're being open. Those are all things that will lead to healthier, happier communication. Yes. You're not putting a wall up. Another thing you could say is, I didn't know this was going to have such a negative impact on you. Wow. And now that I do, I'm sorry. Yeah. Again, like you're not saying I shouldn't have done it or it was a terrible thing to do. You're yeah. just saying, I didn't know. And it's kind of like the love languages in a different way, which is that like, 
I'm learning more about you and I can know through this conversation how to love you better. Mm -hmm. I now know something inside of you that I didn't know before. That's a great point. Yeah, I love that. So I can fine tune the way I talk to you and act toward you because now I I understand better what you want and need. That's right. So what if you are the partner of somebody who is very defensive? How do you get somebody or is the burden in this on the person who's being defensive or does the partner of a person who's defensive have anything they can do? Well, if your partner is very defensive, there's a great chance you're being pretty critical. Yeah. First step is check yourself. Am I being critical leading to this defensiveness? Yes. Okay. And if I say I'm clean. Yeah. If you're using a softened startup, you're talking lovingly to your partner, then you may want to, during a time when you're not fighting, by the way, sit down and say, hey, I listened to this podcast. It had some great info. (laughs) (laughs) I've realized part of the blocks in our communication are that I'm feeling like you're not taking responsibility for your side of things. Mm. And it would really help me feel more connected if you could take ownership when I tell you something hurt my feelings. And they might even be able to say, Sarah, what you said before. Like, I'm not saying you have to admit you were wrong because I don't know that you were wrong. I'm just telling you that it upset me. That's all. Can you just hear that I'm upset? Yeah. That is something I think where men and women differ a little bit in communicating because oftentimes women just want to be heard and validated and understood and for the man or whoever they're speaking to to say oh i get that you were feeling that way and that makes sense they don't need to say anything else sure they don't need to solve a problem they don't need to change anything they can just validate so i'm sorry i hurt your feelings is really validating yes and we've talked about that on the podcast before and this fits Mm -hmm. right in beautifully so if someone comes and says i have a problem with what you did and a lot of men, not all men, of course, and some women do this too. But in general, a man wants to fix the problem. And maybe in his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to fix it by describing what I did really wasn't that bad. Or I'm going to help you understand that I didn't do what you say I did. What you would want as a partner is someone to say, I hear you, and to validate how you felt. And in, in essence, that's fixing it. That's that, it. That in itself, that reflection is fixing it. Yeah. So it's much easier than people think. Yes? So much easier. Yeah. So the third horseman is stonewalling. Yes. What the hell does that mean? So stonewalling is shutting down emotionally. Okay. And just like defensiveness, this has a few different faces of the ways it looks. One way is just you stop talking, you stop looking at your partner, you're just you're still sitting there, but mm-hmm. you're just totally disengaged. Mm-hmm. Um, another way is slamming the door, walking out of the room, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they get the silent treatment. Wow. Another way, you're just looking at your phone, texting, doing whatever, but not paying attention to your partner. And this is in the heat of a fight. This isn't just, you know, you're watching TV and not really paying attention to her or him. Those are the main ways. Okay. More often than not, the intention behind stonewalling is a, is a kind one. Ah. It's, I don't want to make things worse, and I don't know what to say to make things better. Wow. So I'm just going to shut up and hope this blows over. Yes. And in hoping, does that go back to what you said earlier? If they hope it blows over, it blows over, but they haven't really talked about mm-hmm. the underlying issues, that it just then becomes more dust under the rug. That's right. So you don't recommend stonewalling. (laughs) No, no. And as far as gender differences go, women are more likely to criticize and men are more likely to stonewall. Okay. Yeah. And a big piece of why men are... I I honestly am not 
familiar with why women are more likely to criticize. My guess, just based on my knowledge of women, is that since we're more detail-oriented, since we were the gatherers way back in the day, we had to pay attention to way more details. Therefore, we just notice more stuff Mm. that annoys us. Yes. (laughs) And and we're more vocal oftentimes. Yes. So women communicate in general, and I think this is true more than men. So that criticism, even the criticism, I believe, has a positive intention. Oh, yes. We want to fix you. Right. We want to help you. Yes. Yeah. And I really believe that. Like, that's funny to say, but it's true. And and like you said, the intention in general of stonewalling is a positive one. So not only is is, uh, stonewalling often well-intentioned. Yeah. But it also sometimes is a defense mechanism that we've learned from, it's not even necessarily from childhood, it's actually just how humans respond when overwhelmed. And again, part of the reason men tend to stonewall more than women is when we talk about emotions, men are less used to that kind of conversation just Mm -hmm. because of how in the United States, how we're socialized. Mm -hmm. In most countries, that's the case. Um, so talking about emotions can be a little more scary for men. It's just a little less familiar territory. Yep. And it's been less socially acceptable throughout our lives. Yeah, that too. And so when we're overwhelmed as humans, we have a fight or flight response. Mm. And in the research, the Gottmans call this being flooded. Okay. The way you can tell you're flooded is there's a bunch of physiological symptoms. The easiest one is if your heart rate's above a hundred beats per minute, Ah. when you're just sitting here having a conversation you're flooded. Okay. So I literally have my couples wear heart rate monitors wow. in session. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that the, sometimes the person doesn't know that they're flooded. And when you say flooding, I'm thinking that means flooded with emotion? Yeah, it just means overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. You know, yeah. If you imagine a flood of emotions or a flood of water, yeah, it's visual, really. Mm-hmm. So there's too much going on. My CPU is on overload. There's smoke coming out of the back <laughs> of the computer. And I need to shut down yeah. is what's happening. Okay. I love that analogy. Yeah. So what a person does when they're flooding in general is they shut down, yes. kind of like standby on a computer. Like they have to, they're trying to change the situation so that it can be, so they can trying to bring it back down because they don't know what to do with all of the extra emotion and thought. Yeah, except it's not even conscious. Yes. So, and there's three reactions to flooding, fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. Those are our human reactions when we feel we're in danger. Yeah. And when you're flooded, your brain is sending a message to your body, to your nervous system. Hey, we're in danger. Something Mm. bad is happening right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when that happens, you'll either have a reaction of being super aggressive. That's Mm -hmm. obviously the fight response, the flight response, and the freeze response. Both could be stonewalling. Yes. So some people I know, and this is the latter and, and less frequent version of it, but stonewalling can be used as a weapon. Stonewalling can be used mm-hmm. as a punishment mm-hmm. as well. And is there a few words you could say about that when someone stonewalls by shutting down in order to say, fuck off, basically, yeah. to their partner? My guess is that's what somebody did to them in their childhood, and they uh, just learned that love was conditional. Yeah. And if you're not saying or doing the things I want, you don't get to have my love and attention. Wow. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if someone finds themselves doing that... They can understand it. They can talk about it. They can ask themselves why they do it. They can realize they learned it somewhere early in life and they can try to change. If your partner stonewalls you and it feels like it's punitive and they're upset with you, how might you coach a partner to move in closer to the one that's stonewalling them? So I wouldn't coach them to move in closer okay. because tell, tell if they're in fight or flight mode, that conversation is not going to go well. 
we don't think clearly, we don't function clearly, we have tunnel vision quite literally when we're in fight or flight mode. Okay. The prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain where yeah. most logical thought happens, that's actually going offline. Okay. And your reptilian brain, kind of the back of your brain stem, like back above your neck and back of your head, that's what's running the show. Yeah. So you're basically a reptile at okay. that point. Okay, you're on. <laughs> you instinct. can run you're away, or you can bite, or you can yeah. freeze and hope nobody sees you. So you Those would recommend your giving your partner space, yeah, even if it hurts at that. Yeah. Moment. So the way that we can make this okay for the partner who really, really, really wants to work it out right now yeah. uh, is to use a structured timeout. Okay. And that's kind of the antidote to this stonewalling is to recognize when you're flooded, number mm-hmm. one, that's step one. And then step two is ask for a structured timeout. Okay. And that's different than just saying, I can't talk about this right now, I'm walking away. Because the partner who's left wanting to talk about it feels anxious as hell. Yes. They don't know when you're going to talk about it with right. them or if you're going to talk about it. And they're freaking out the whole time. Yeah. So structured, you mean saying, I need 20 minutes, I'm going to go for a walk. I'll come back and we can finish this conversation when I'm a little more relaxed. That's exactly right. Okay. And then it's your responsibility as the person who asked for the timeout to come back at the agreed upon time. Yes, I think that's huge. Yeah. So Sarah, we're climbing up this ladder of the four horsemen of the apocalypse here. And you said they get more serious as we go. So we're at the top rung now when we talk about contempt. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah. Contempt is... It's a little bit harder to explain because okay. it's almost a facial expression. Okay. Um, it's more of a state of being than something you're actually doing. Yeah. It's it's making your partner feel less than you. Okay. So it mm. could be rolling your eyes at them, which I know a lot of people roll eyes. Sure. I literally just rolls my, rolled my eyes as I was saying that. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd done something yeah. wrong. <laughs> And they don't mean it in a, in a harmful way, but you do kind of know when somebody's doing that in jest, you know, kind of like a, oh, you're so silly yeah. eye roll versus I can't stand to be around you right mm. now eye roll. Would you say, does the word, and this might be off base, does the word disgust go in yes. there? When, okay. When you're showing whether it's the way you're talking to your partner, the facial expressions you're making, like you said, or the words you're using. Mm-hmm actually acting as if you're disgusted with your partner. That's right. So yeah. that has to, I imagine that that has, is pretty far down the line where things have been building for some time yeah. to get to contempt. Yeah, and that's why it's such a high indicator of divorce or breakup because if that's there, you've really lost respect for your partner. Yeah. There's not much love and affection between the two of you. There's yeah. certainly not fondness and admiration. Sure. There's just a lot of, this person's a pain in my ass. Yeah. And if they weren't so stupid or if they weren't so messy or if they weren't so, you know, insert word that makes them feel less than you, then I wouldn't have this problem. Right. I've heard this referred to as the death knell in relationships. Yeah. That it's all but over. Not over because they're still together. Mm -hmm. But tricky question. It's hard to explain what it is. Mm -hmm. You can feel it in the room. It's Mm -hmm. almost the death knell of the relationship. What the hell can people do if they feel contempt or they're experiencing that their partner has contempt for them? Where do they go? First of all, if this is showing up in your relationship regularly, you need to get in couples therapy immediately. Okay. This is not a like fix it yourself type thing. Yeah. This means so much has happened over the time you've been together that has built up to the point where you've lost respect for each other. Yeah. Um, that you need a professional at that point. Okay. Sure. So but, two people in contempt or one person in contempt, you're saying they're not going to find their way out of it. They found their way into that problem. Yeah. 
problem. They need help getting out. Yeah. I think that that's a really fair assessment. Yeah. And there's a physiological change that happens in your brain when you start to feel contempt for your partner Mm. or you start to have a lot of fights that get out of control and Mm -hmm. don't get resolved. So your brain actually codes your partner as an enemy. When you're in contempt. When you're in contempt and when you've had unresolved fights and all of that's been going on for a long time. An enemy, wow. Yeah, and it's really, there's a process called re-imaging that we use in couples therapy where we start to help you see each other the way you used to see each other when you first met. Oh, wow. Remember when you wear those rose-colored glasses (laughs) and everything they do is amazing and they have no flaws at all? Yep, I remember that time. Yeah, they're still the same person. Yeah. We just have to help your brain believe that again. Mm. So what, what does re-imaging do? How do you do that? So one small thing that you can do to start that process is start focusing on the positive by writing down one to three things you love and appreciate about your partner every single day. Wow. And every you single share day. that with your partner? Ideally, yes. Okay. Yeah. But even just the fact that you're writing it down, you're training your brain. So we train our brain what to look for. Uh, we have yeah. this amazing little part of our brain called the reticular activating system that's mm. in charge of attention. Okay. So... If you're shopping for a car, you're going to start seeing that car that you want everywhere. Mm. That's your reticular activating system. That is currently, if you're in contempt, programmed to see your partner's flaws. Yes. So if you start to teach it to look at what's right instead, yes. it will. So for all of these, the four horsemen that you're talking about, and people are asking themselves, do I do that? And you've given them some at least great starting points about how to get out of them. Are there any other suggestions that you have about daily routines people can do, like going to the gym, for example, for your physical health, but as far as their relationship is concerned, things that they can do that will help any or all of these, especially contempt, to start to move in a more healthy direction. Mm-hmm. Definitely focusing on the positive. Okay. Because of evolutionary reasons, we, our human brain focuses on the negative, you know, kind of what's wrong, what's dangerous, what could hurt me. Yeah. Uh, you have to consciously shift that when yeah. you're in a relationship. Okay. Uh, our brain doesn't do us any favors in relationships mm. or our evolutionary brain. So that's one thing is focus on what's going right in the relationship. Great. Uh, another daily practice is to have some sort of emotional connection. Oh. So one of the things I do with my couples is I have a weekly dialogue that they have, and we customize it to their needs, but some stems include one emotion I felt this week was. Mm. One way that you made me feel loved and appreciated this week is. Yeah. Uh, one thing you could do to make me feel loved and appreciated in the coming week is. Wow. Just expressing stuff like that opens up a line of communication that isn't present in a lot of relationships. Yes. So really a check-in and aligning yourselves and and actually realigning with your intention of the relationship as a whole. If we're here to be intimate, to be loving, to be supportive, to be all these things, let's just realign ourselves once a week. That's a beautiful thing. So Sarah, you've given us so many great things to think about. Thank you so much for your wisdom. And I want to ask if people are hearing this and they want to know more about you, your services, read your stuff, see you, how do they find you? So I'm Couples Learn pretty much everywhere. My website's coupleslearn.com. My Instagram is coupleslearn. If you search that on Facebook, you'll find my Facebook page. And Instagram is where I am most of the time as far as social media. That's the best place to find you. Mm -hmm. And I know you work with couples. So if someone isn't in Los Angeles, they're pretty much shit out of luck, aren't they? They won't be able to come (laughs) sit with you and get help? Well, actually, funny you should say that. My practice is 100% online. Is that right? So all of my sessions are done through video chat. So I can 
can connect with you anywhere. Amazing. Sarah, thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Okay, so what now? First of all, I think we need to hold our responsibility to our partners very dearly and consciously. Although we didn't necessarily sign up to be the healer of our partner's childhood wounds, we usually find ourselves in that position, and I recommend that we hold that responsibility with a lot of love and a lot of kindness. Let's try to be patient as we present our partners with a more loving and corrective emotional experience so that they come to expect comfort when they get upset as opposed to whatever they received when they were young. We are not our partner's parent, but we sure as hell can give them the unconditional love that they wanted way back then. So ask yourself if you see yourself in any of the Gottman's four horsemen that Sarah told us about. First of all, are you critical of your partner? Do you use words like always or never with your partner? Or do you call them insulting names or judge their behavior harshly? If so, try to use I statements and talk about how their behavior makes you feel. Let your partner know that their behavior affects you and let them know what emotions you feel as a result of it. And in that way, we're owning our own triggers and emotions while simultaneously working to let our partners know what our wants and needs are. It's an invitation to intimacy. So the second horseman is defensiveness. When your partner tells you something they're unhappy about, do you quickly reach the conclusion that they are wrong and that you were completely innocent? Or do you accept responsibility but quickly explain why their behavior is worse than yours? Instead of this, listen to your partner and be strong enough to acknowledge that you're not perfect and that sometimes you act in ways that upset them. See, since you take ownership of the times when you were less than perfect and you learn from your mistakes, your partner will be much more open to listen to you when you think they've misperceived something you've done. Above all, just listen to your partner and validate their experience. Many times, that's all they need in order to feel better. The third horseman is stonewalling. Do you shut down when your partner is upset with you? Do you stop talking, look away, or abruptly leave the room? Sarah says that this is most likely something you learned to do a long time ago to defend against emotional flooding. So take a minute to go easy on yourself for the fact that you've done this. She recommends, if this is a pattern of yours, that you take a structured break. And all that means is that you tell your partner you need some time to cool down, but that you will re-engage in a predetermined amount of time. After that, it is then your burden to re-engage with your partner and continue the conversation at the predetermined time when you're less flooded. The fourth and final horseman is contempt. Sarah says that if you or your partner are in a state of contempt for one another, it's time to seek out professional help because we sometimes need a brain outside of ourselves to help us see what we're missing. One process that she recommends is to start writing down one to three things each day that you love and admire about your partner in order to bring training to your brain to notice all of the things that you used to adore about them. So as good relationship hygiene, I recommend sharing with your partner every day something that you appreciate about them and always be looking for the things that made you fall in love with them in the first place. Be centered in your heart and have compassion for the wounded parts inside of yourself and your partner. And basically be a big, bright ball of love for them so that they can fall into it when they need it. I also think it's important for all of us to continue healing our own inner wounds so that we have more love to give and less impediments to that love. 
We have the ability as romantic partners to be the most healing relationship that our partner has ever had. So let's take that responsibility as an honor and a privilege and let's use our powers of loving to spread the sum total of love on the planet. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P-O-D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.